Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Norman Horn, for the day. And with me, I've got Doug Stewart, who is normally our host of the podcast. But this special episode where we're going to talk about Bitcoin kind of involves me a little more than usual since I've been involved with Bitcoin for a little while. Our two guests for the day are Brian Harrington and Josh Humphrey. We're really proud to have them on board today. Josh Humphrey is a nurse by day, a tech enthusiast, and the host of the podcast Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, where he puts Bitcoin in layman's terms and interviews people involved in various aspects of the space. Brian Harrington is a marketing consultant, freedom fighter, and Bitcoiner from Anaheim, California. He graduated from Azusa Pacific University and has been following Jesus since he was six years old. So a lifelong believer. Both of these guys are lifelong believers. We're thrilled to have them on the podcast. Josh, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're, we're so ha- happy to have you here. We've you know pretty rarely talked about Bitcoin, either on our website or on the podcast especially. Uh, and so when, when I was a uh, I was contacted by one of our listeners and and uh, was told that you guys were some great people to have to talk about these sorts of issues and and how even Christians can think about Bitcoin and uh, and you know Doug here is a is kind of a, a little bit of a, a newer fellow to the field <laughs> and so I think he's got a bunch of questions I know our listeners have a bunch of questions I think we're going to get right down to it so Doug what would you want to ask in your kind of first soirees into Bitcoin itself. Yeah, well, normally I'm the host and I have to act like I have all the like sophisticated questions, but I have the <laughs> honorable role of asking the newbie questions, not because I don't actually know anything, because I know a little bit more than I did a few years ago, uh, but because I know what the struggle is like. I know what it's like to sort of be like interested in Bitcoin, but nervous to buy any you know, or convert your currency, whatever, whatever the term is. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about yet. So... <laughs> Uh, I know what the struggle is. And I have just probably in the past year sort of gotten over the hump in understanding what exactly is Bitcoin and how it really is going to be a part of our future, whether whether it's in the ways we imagine or not. And so we'll, we'll, that'll bear itself out in the conversation. So I guess I'm going to start this. Uh, one of my favorite memes when people talk about Bitcoin is I saw this tweet once and someone said, I still don't get Bitcoin and a person responded, imagine if keeping your car idling 24-7 produced solve Sudoku so you could trade for heroin. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that is like, oh, okay, yeah, that's exactly, because that's what most people probably are like, yeah, I don't, I, don't, nah, 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 I don't get it. There's an underlying technology I know, it's called the blockchain, and, and when I hear people explain that, it's like, ah, okay, that makes more sense. So I'm going to let one of you guys take it away and give us like, what is Bitcoin? And, and it's also really important to know what it isn't, because I think people have a sense in which like Bitcoin is the only way that they can conceive of the future of, of, of money and, and whatever. And so there's a lot of things that can go awry if they imagine it, what it is in the wrong way. You want to hit it off, Josh? So I think the most important thing for me is about Bitcoin is that it is censorship resistant money that happens to be digital. 
And so it is, it's limited in supply, which kind of gives it these properties where the, where the value more or less continues to go up. But it is money that is disconnected from the state. And then through, you know, the magic of computers, that's, that's not the technical version of it. But, but um, that's okay. You know, You're answering it for me. So, right, right. <laughs> I don't so need the technical. The, the, the programming side of it makes it to where you don't have to trust the other party. And so, you know, kind of one of my favorite memes or, or descriptions of it is, is Bitcoin is money for enemies. Interesting. So why, why would you say Bitcoin is money for enemies? That's an interesting phrase. What, what kind of, yeah, unpack so, that a little bit. Right, right. So with, you know, our current, if you want to call it digital fiat paradigm, where when I say digital, I'm talking about like um, buying things online with your credit card, your debit card, whatever. Right. Most of our money is is just like, you know, entries in a ledger line on some bank somewhere at this point. Right, right. So that's already happening. And there's a lot of information that is collected in order to prevent fraud, to prevent chargebacks and things like that. And with Bitcoin, because of the way it works, because of the ledger system, it does not require all this extra information. You don't have to trust that other person because the way that the network works basically makes the trust unnecessary. So in other words, like if I were trying to even engage in, say, a cash transaction uh, with somebody else, like, you know, paying my, my lawn guy or something in cash, he's still trusting me that if I'm that the cash that I'm handing him is actually legitimate cash. Well, but in sort of, there's something even different here. And both parties in that one are trusting the government that exactly. it's legitimate cash. Right. I was going to say your your trust in that one is in the the Federal Reserve. Sure, but he's also he's also assuming that I'm not giving them something counterfeit either. That at least that that even in that case, it's something that that at least it's even fiat. He he's trusting that you are giving him authentic U.S. dollars. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But we don't even have to worry about that anymore with Bitcoin. Right. Because because of the ledger, because of the blockchain. Right, right. Like you can't give someone fake Bitcoin. Right. That's not how the network works. Because um, the, the nodes that are propagating those transactions, and, and sorry I'm, if I'm getting into jargon, stop me. <laughs> nodes are just like each uh, individual user is, has the capability of running a node on the network that checks the supply, that checks that all those transactions are valid. Mm-hmm. And so if you send out a transaction that is more than what you have, right? Like you can't write a hot check on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That'll bounce real fast. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's, but let's get into like, so how did that come into being? So how does the, how does the, the blockchain work into this? I mean, obviously it's like, if we're going to start off with money somewhere, it's got to, it's got to come from somewhere. Okay. Well, in the case of something like gold, we'd go out and mine it. What exactly is the way in which Bitcoin comes into being? So it comes into being through like there's also a mining process. The word the word mining yeah it probably comes from the just gold world, but it means it means verifying the transactions. And so every ten minutes, so Bitcoin. When Josh was talking about the nodes, a node is your copy of the Bitcoin software. And so when you as a user you run the Bitcoin software, and that's your wallet. And so every time that I send a transaction to you, your wallet is verifying that you know the Bitcoin is real. And so we went over that part. The way that new Bitcoin get created is that every 10 minutes, all the transactions from the whole world are all grouped together and they're all verified and then released. And there's a waiting, and there's a waiting queue for all the transactions that need to be need to be created. Those 10 minutes, miners or computers 
that are verifying all these transactions are legit and, and verifying, you know, this wallet gets this many, this wallet gets this many, this wallet gets this many. They are rewarded by the network with what's called a block subsidy. So there's two parts of the block reward. One is the block subsidy, which is the new Bitcoin. And then the second part is the transaction fees because you have to pay transactions to, you know, send send Bitcoin. So because it's a peer-to-peer network, instead of, so if, if I Bank of America and you have Wells Fargo and I send you, you know, a check, what are we doing? Well, somehow the bank's making money. We're paying employees at Bank of America. We're paying employees at Wells Fargo. We're keeping the lights on there. We're paying all these expenses for their servers and all these things. In Bitcoin, there are, all of that is the users themselves. So people that choose to run the miners, they get paid now. They get paid instead of, you know, the banks getting paid. And so they get paid the new Bitcoin every 10 minutes. So in other words, the people who are actually doing the work to facilitate the transactions happening themselves are the ones who are being rewarded for doing so. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, then, and then we get into the whole, the way that the network keeps the fixed cap supply is that, you know, when Bitcoin started, you know, back in 2009, the block reward every 10 minutes was 50 Bitcoin. And then four years later, it dropped down to 25 Bitcoin. And then four years later, it dropped down to 12 and a half. And so that's how, that's how it keeps that fixed hard cap supply. And, and that's where what Josh was talking about, about like it's, it's impossible to receive fake Bitcoin because if you change those rules, then you're no longer using, you're no longer using Bitcoin. So if, you're, if your computer changes the rules or you choose to go off the network, you're no longer on the Bitcoin network. So that's what keeps everyone's incentivized to work together and protect the hard cap supply. And so what exactly what do you mean by the, the Bitcoin network? Why is that important to us here? So that's important because, because it's peer-to-peer. Like the, the most important thing is, like the most important part of Bitcoin is just the users, like the real people that are being able to, you know, transact with each other. So that's what I say when I mean Bitcoin network. Is it's like the, it's the network of, all, of everyone running, running their copy of the software. Yeah, and so the, the, the consensus of the, you know, all the miners together saying that this is, this is the blockchain. Totally. And verifying that internally together, you know, prevents the possibility of a brute force attack that would then, you know, screw it up and thereby messing up everybody's transactions and messing up everybody's stake in the matter. Totally. And at least that's, that's one way to understand it, I would think. Yeah. One, one thing I say about this word blockchain also that um, has helped some people in the past is I call blockchain like the transmission of Bitcoin. Like mm-hmm. if we're talking about a car and talking about that system, the blockchain is the transmission. Like if you take the transmission out of the car, you know, and go tape it to a, you know, a wall, like you didn't make a car. <laughs> yeah. Like now you just have a random wall with the transmission duct taped to it. Yeah. Like that is nothing. <laughs> like and so so what happened? What happened that confused a lot of people and and is kind of like, like I say this like like look cryptocurrency and blockchain is confusing. Bitcoin is simple. So like if, if anyone has ever, like if you get stuck in some of these other conversations and it just feels like it's over your head and feels like the other person is kind of like purposefully, purposely kind of needing to make it complicated, more often than not, you're probably talking with someone that's like talking about some sort of like corporate blockchain like application that isn't necessarily, that has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Right. And so I, th- I think it's something that's been really powerful over this past year that I just think or has been really good is that just kind of the popular like nomenclature of the United States, like I, I've seen more and more people be able to separate those two things. And so I just I always like to do that for like new audiences when I'm talking to them, it's like mm-hmm. separate like 
the most important blockchain like is the Bitcoin blockchain for all the reasons that we'll talk about why Bitcoin is like such a big paradigm shift. But um, just want to make that distinction for people. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and I think it's really cool to envision this as, you know, there is a huge paradigm shift going on in the way that we understand the way money even works mm-hmm. with Bitcoin. So what are some of those aspects? What should Bitcoin be teaching us about these sorts of things and about money itself and how it's created and transmitted and whatnot? Yeah. So period, like biggest thing Bitcoin teaches you is that the government does not need to own the money. It teaches you that the, that money can be apolitical and honestly should be apolitical. Like there's, there's just so many benefits to society, so many second, third order effects when like the society would be able to operate on an apolitical money. And often like there's, there's a meme like in Bitcoin Twitter just called Bitcoin fixes this. And it, <laughs> and it just, and, and I'm sure a lot of the audience that is familiar with, you know, Austrian economics and I don't know, this, the Ron Paul campaign and just any, anything kind of like just, just all the fun topics that, like libertarians like enjoy talking about is like, the Federal Reserve like is a big problem. Like the the fiat money and politicians being able to choose the supply of it and choose when to ramp it up and when to ramp it down leads to a lot of second and third order effects that hurt businesses and hurt individuals from being able to make their own economic decisions. And so Bitcoin is apolitical, neutral money that can act as a better measuring stick for people to do business with each other. And it has it has a democratic like the way it's distributed was very democratic. Like at the very beginning in 2009, like you couldn't even give it away for free. Like you yeah. couldn't get people to like run the software. And the fact that it's grown so organically to the stage that it is today, like is truly, honestly, like because this is, you know, Christian podcast also, like I honestly believe it was like a gift from God. Like, like I, have yeah. no, I have no problem like saying that. Like I truly believe like Bitcoin is something that God is using to like create a like peaceful revolution in the world. It's an inter- It's a good way to put it because if we are, if we're able to say things like, you know, this medicine is a gift from God, mm-hmm. I mean that's technology. Mm-hmm. If it, it took chemists and chemical engineers, you know, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took a lot of you know scientists and and working together to make that work, and well, that's what Bitcoin is too. Absolutely, well, technology. Yes. Well, and let's hit this right here because you talked about it before, like like. The Byzantine generals problem, like like <laughs> the, the Byzantine Whoa, generals. We're jumping problem. ahead. We got to watch well, out. No. <laughs> no, 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 it's in it's in what you just said about science. Like yeah. science and Christianity are not incompatible. Like absolutely, like God created matter, and like when we are studying matter and we are learning about the world, like we are studying God, and that's why I have no problem saying that like Bitcoin was like sent by God to like help this world because when the person who invented Bitcoin. They solved the Byzantine generals problem. Like it was, a, it was an actual scientific. You can define what it is and how you wowed those guys, but <laughs> it was, it was a like legitimate scientific and mathematical breakthrough. Like there hadn't been digital scarcity before. Like when when I send an email to you, we both have a copy of the email. So email technology won't work for money because then we just copy it and double spend attack. Like that's what the Byzantine general problem. That's that's the best way I describe it. Is that that's what it solves. It solves digital scarcity so that it's provably the Bitcoin is provably out of my account and provably into your account. And that that was a mathematical breakthrough, you know, for humanity. Yeah, it, and that's that's really true. And maybe we'll get back. Maybe we'll get back into that. But I want to get sure. make sure that we don't close down on the, the the fiat currency problem 
because it, there's there's a, some really kind of neat points in my opinion as to what makes Bitcoin so special in the modern era. You know, when we start comparing it to fiat currency. And most of us who are, you know, we all know uh, about the evils of the Federal Reserve and and the evils of unsound money per se. And you know, often at least prior to 2009, if we were to talk about this, we're like, well, what's the answer? We got to get back to the gold standard. Got to get back to gold and silver, hard money, and uh, stuff with so, quote, quote, intrinsic value and things like that, even though that's even a bit of a misnomer, but we won't get into that, strictly speaking. Uh, but that was the way we would consider it. Even Ron Paul in the 2008 campaign talked about, you know, we got to get back to the gold standard. And that was important because, of course, Fiat money allows for the government to manipulate the currency. Manipulating the currency is like, from a biblical perspective even, we have to say like, look, this is like using dishonest weights and measures, guys. That goes back to friggin' Leviticus now. Come on. We should be able to get better than that. But even gold has a problem though, right? And that, I mean, the, the federal government was able to stop it. You know, they, they stopped the Bretton Woods plan in the 70s and we got off the gold standard entirely. But Bitcoin kind of circumvents this, doesn't it? Can you, let's, let's talk about that. How does, how does Bitcoin kind of solve even the issue of the, some of the problems of gold? Yeah, exactly. So I think that Bitcoin really kind of gave me hope as a libertarian because before this, I kind of was like, it was, it was kind of depressing in some sense to wait for some kind of giant socioeconomic collapse so that we could yeah. get back to gold, right? Like well, we very, didn't have any context with which to understand it other than like, I don't see how it's going to happen without a big crash. Yeah. Right. Like it requires kind of a great amount of suffering to be able to move on to back to a gold standard. And even at that, like once society got to a sufficient enough level of, you know, population and civilization again, then what's to stop another confiscation of gold, right? Like what right. stops that executive order 6102? Yeah, <laughs> like, if, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that or not, but basically that was when they when they made the individual ownership of gold illegal, and they you were supposed to come like turn it in. Obviously, not everyone did, but that was the the law. And so with Bitcoin, that's not really possible. Like they cannot come confiscate it from you. Now they could hold you at gunpoint and tell you to you know, give your private keys over and, you know, or, or hold a gun to your family. So that that's a little different there, but they cannot physically go and take it from you. And the right. cost of confiscation goes up immensely. Yeah. And then the other benefit I see is on the front end, on the opt-in side, like it's, it's 24 seven opt-in with a smartphone. So yep. just the, the ability to get the Bitcoin into just more and more people's hands and get it circulating into more and more people's hands is just faster. And its ability to work in commerce like faster, its yep. ability to you can take it across borders. Like if you if you really want to do it, you can hold you can hold your password in your head. Like you don't mm -hmm. even have to have it written down anywhere. Yeah. So in terms of the like, how do you own or have Bitcoin? You know, in my the way I'm treating it right now is I'm you know just buying a little bit here and there, and yet I don't I don't see myself using it to do transactions at this point. In like in my personal preference of like risk and long-term and it's more like an investment. And I hear you talking about people using it in transactions. So maybe I'm just like a little lost on like how other people are using it or maybe I'm just using it in one way. 
maybe you can elaborate a little bit. Yeah. So the the savings technology aspects of it and the investment technology, you know, aspect of it is for sure like the biggest story, like in mm-hmm. the United States, like for sure. That and so that's not you're not you're not like doing Bitcoin wrong or like people that are like, are like saving and using it as investment are not doing Bitcoin wrong. Like that's like absolutely a good use for it. And so even honestly, like recently through like and th- this was kind of the first time I hung out and like talked to Josh was like I was talking to him a lot about basically the same thing of like I was in the same boat of having never really used it in transactions before. But, you know, through through Twitter and learning about Bitcoin, you see other people that are doing it. And honestly, coronavirus really did like kind of cement my desire to like watch it happen in commerce more and kind of use it like as freedom money. Like and so that's it really is like in the last like. 90 to 120 days that like I've, I've even like stepped over that, um, that kind of learning, learning curve also. And I, and I've been pleasantly surprised like how, how easy it is, has been to use it in commerce, because I think a lot of people that, that, you know, know about Federal Reserve and know about all that stuff. It's, it's pretty easy to get people into like, okay, just buy a little and hold a little because maybe it is, you know, digital gold 2.0. But then there's a lot of people like my yeah. wife who she, you know, She's cool. Like she, she gets that side of it, but she's all, she wants to know, like spending it almost like helped her understand that we could close the loop on it. It helped her understand that it was money, not a stock. Like, because in a lot of people, like you know, people, we don't need more stock picks. Like people are yeah. throwing <laughs> stock picks every single day and people like, and so even when I talk with mm-hmm. kind of when, I, you know, when you talk with people that are of, you know, lesser means, they're not used to investing and they keep all their money in like cash for day to day spending anyway. So they're kind of, so they kind of have this perception that like, oh, I can't get involved in Bitcoin because it's just for, you know, holding for a long time. And I, I, I can't tie up money like that. And then when you talk to, you know, more wealthy people about it, like they're always like, well, Brian, you know, that's really great. Like that you found a way to make money. Like I already have money. Like I don't need like your way to make money, and that and that's where it's like so so the kind of using it in you know free commerce is like a story that kind of helps both of those crowds kind of get over like both the pumps that like yeah. that they're on. Well, so help me over something then. I have a very pretty small amount of Bitcoin. I could I could spend it. I could use it to buy relatively small things, or even you know medium sized items, but. I don't really want to because I have that sort of like, well, it could be worth more in three weeks, like significantly worth more. Or, I mean, I could also say, well, I don't want to be paid in Bitcoin doing a service or whatever because it might be worth, you know, significantly less five seconds after I it transacts. Whereas, again, I do realize what I'm about to say here sounds, anyway, it sounds weird, but like at least my, <laughs> at least the money backed by my United States government isn't going to fluctuate so quickly for sure. and without so much uncertainty. I realize coronavirus is kind of like throwing that for a loop. So I understand as a libertarian, I'm fully aware of the problems of the Federal Reserve. I'm on board with abolishing it, sure. all of that, just if that's not clear. But it is less volatile to just keep my money in cash and use Bitcoin as an investment. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. just a personal like, yeah. well, I would love to use the little bit of money that I have in Bitcoin and spend it where it makes sense to do so. So I'm interested in hearing Josh's answer to this too. The quick way that I would say is I like, I honestly see it as like political activism. Like I see it as like putting my money where my mouth is and like engaging, you know, engaging the Bitcoin economy. Like I almost see it the same as like almost like drinking fair trade coffee, like where it's like, (laughs) like there's no, there's no blood on my supply chain. Like the food I bought and like eating this. And so I I honestly like make it a point to like, I want, I'm, I'm converting like fiat paying clients like over to Bitcoin and working on 
Bitcoin is fair trade yes, currency, yes. man. No, it is. And so, there's, so there's that little element of it. And then there's a ton of like apps that are like way improving on this. And so there's, I mean, I can, I can shout out a few of them. I don't know if they're, might not be Josh's favorite, but like, so like fold app and bit refill are like gift card apps that let you buy gift cards and you earn Bitcoin back on them. And then there's also another Bitcoin app called, um, strike now that it lets you spend off your debit card, but the merchant receives Bitcoin. And so that kind of solves the whole, like, you don't want to spend your hard currency, you want to spend your soft currency, just so that you're, so you're always growing, you know, your Bitcoin stack while at the same time you're leaning into, yeah, the the fair trade Bitcoin economy. So the main answer is nothing you said, like, doesn't make sense from a game theory perspective, but there are ways to like lean into it and do both. Keep growing your long-term investment Mm -hmm. stack while, you know, supporting Bitcoin businesses. And I'll, Josh, I'll let you answer here in a second. Other than like overstock.com, like where can I buy normal items on Bitcoin with Bitcoin? Yeah, so Fold, yeah, I would do like the Fold app. Fold app is like the best way to get like mainstream gift cards with it. And then that's that's a big thing that I would want to, the, the main way to get involved with that is like join a local Bitcoin meetup. So like that's something I talked on Josh's episode about a lot. And like, and this is where kind of pulling in the church element to it of like, like the early church lived together in community and did business together in community and shared the resources together in community. And that this is really a way that like I could see, like I really want like churches and like Bitcoin meetups to kind of like begin to merge and like talk about real solutions. Like it, it's almost like it can be like combined political activism of like growing businesses and sharing resources. Yeah, I would I would pretty much echo all of that, like 99%, I think. <laughs> um, so... And I think the only reason that Brian brought up that I might not agree is because we don't always 100% agree on acquiring and spending Bitcoin through the the KYC, like know your customer process, which is kind of this whole sub argument among Bitcoiners. But but I don't want to like worry your listeners with with that. Um, yeah, sure. So, but but for sure, like Bit Bit Refill is a great resource. So let me ask you guys, do you ever buy anything at either Walmart, Amazon, eBay, Target, Home Depot, Uber, <laughs> DoorDash? Oh, no, never. Mm-hmm. You know, never. Airbnb. <laughs> let's see what else. I'm, I'm just kind of browsing through. The, so basically, BitRefill allows you to buy gift cards to these other companies. You pay them in Bitcoin and they send you the digital gift card. Sure. So you That's can cool. buy all your normal things unless you live in Texas like me and HEB is not listed on here for your groceries yet. But, <laughs> as, a, as a Texan, <laughs> I mean, well, I don't live in Texas now, but I am, a, I am a originally a Texan, you know. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, I, so I that uh, that, that's something that I kind of started to push, but then like coronavirus pushed back HEB's ability to do digital gift cards. Not, not mm. their technical ability, but like obviously that got put as, you know, last priority. So, Sure. Uh, I think one day it'll come back. Anyways, um, and then I would I would 100% echo the whole local meetups thing, um, and that's actually kind of where I was earlier tonight. I had a we had a friend that used to be part of our local meetup that moved away and then was back in town, so wanted to make sure I hit that up. But, but in person conversations are huge. To have a real person that you can go to and talk to. Twitter Twitter's fun. You know, there's a ton of different like Telegram chat groups. They they kind of are particular to different veins of of Bitcoin usage, but having real people that you can go to and talk these things through and have them help you with your phone apps or the software on your computer and those kind of things is amazing. 
you you can't really put a price on that, but that also allows you to find people that have different skills and kind of have, you know, if you think about like the kind of things you would spend cash on, you know, your, your Bitcoin meetup can serve as kind of that, that networking place. And so you kind of can build out either through something like BitRefill or through connections that you make with your local Bitcoin meetup is kind of build out that, that parallel economy with Bitcoin cash businesses, don't necessarily always charge you tax. Let's just say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also they don't, they will give you a cut sometimes because they're not paying the processing fees right? for the, for the credit card companies, right? And so in theory anyways, if, you're, if everybody's paying each other in Bitcoin, it actually should be cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing to that, that question of volatility, which is a real thing, right? Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna honestly anyways tell you that it's not volatile. There is a certain amount of volatility in it. But you also have to recognize that we have a very American perspective on this, right? Like if you, and, and because Bitcoin is global, if you go talk to somebody from Venezuela, you know, their currency is just continually falling through the floor. Right. And so even, even when Bitcoin is down, um, if you look at like 2018, when, it, when Bitcoin crashed down from its 2017 high, it's still the percentage that it had gained in purchasing power versus the Venezuelan Boulevard was incredible. Yeah, it's kind of like and so volatility but, doesn't really matter if the your other alternative currency is going into the crapper. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so. And so while we all see these big problems with the US dollar, comparatively it is still very stable versus a lot of other world currencies. Sure, yeah. Well, and and let's like we've talked here about okay, like short term there's things that are happening right here, right now that make it appealing. Uh, there's the ability to use it as a store of value. Using Bitcoin as a store of value is, is tremendous in that we, you know, we're, we're putting you know, our savings into something that is going to long-term appreciate in a way that certainly you know, not uh, your savings account or money market account will. It's possibly, uh, you know, we're not your financial advisors, but it could be, you know, it, it, has, it has appreciable value over time. And that's where we start getting into kind of the long-term outlook as well, is that even in the short term when we can do these transactions and do interesting things and, and, we feel, and there's this resistance element even to, to fiat currency, the long-term outlook is even potentially even more hopeful, if you will, uh, from both you know, a libertarian point of view and in, even in a sense from a Christian point of view, strictly speaking, as well. And why might that be the case, guys? I, I mean, because the government no longer, you know, controls the currency because it no longer allows the, you know, elite ruling class to, you know, choose winners and losers. And it no longer allows them to like, honestly, these, these shutdowns would not be possible without, you know, paper money because they print paper money and they pay bureaucrats that still get their, you know, salaries paid while small businesses, you know, don't get paid. And that, that math just is not possible, you know, on a, on a Bitcoin standard. And so it, um, and, and circling back to what we talked about at the beginning of how it can, it can work for enemies because it's a, it's a, it's a fair system. There's no way to, the, the base layer is incorruptible. And so there's still going to be, you know, bad actors that look to take advantage of like other humans. However, they can't take advantage of other humans, like at the very base layer of manipulating the value of the money. Yeah, so like for the Federal Reserve, manipulating the base layer 
literally means, oh, we're going to change the interest rate. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to change the reserve ratio and, and, and adjust the way in which uh, banks are able to you know, store and lend money. And that they choose not happen here. They choose who gets the the fresh new supply of the money first. Right. So if, if listeners Google um, the Cantillon effect, the Cantillon effect is that the people who receive the freshest supply first, yeah, like benefit the most, and then the people at the end of the chain, you know, suffer from the inflation after the first first actors of the money were able to you know get the money into assets, and that's why you know that's why like people believe that you know stocks always go up, real estate always go up because. Um, well, and that's, and so people that aren't familiar with like Bitcoin is a store of value simply because it has, there's, there's only 21 million Bitcoin in, in you have Jerome Powell on 60 minutes saying there's infinite supply of dollars. Like they're able to just change the numbers (laughs) on the computer screen. And then think, think about how hard you work to just make 500 bucks. And then think about Jerome Powell on 60 minutes saying we have infinite ability to change, like change the numbers on the screen like that, that just fundamentally like does not work for me anymore. And I believe that like, I believe it's like the church's responsibility and like, you know, Christians and freedom fighters responsibility to talk about that and like bring that up. It just feels like the very foundation is corrupt. Yeah. Fiat is oppressive slave money is, is where it is for me because your time is a precious resource that you can never get back. Right. You are, when you go to work, or you, maybe if you don't go to work, maybe you just, yeah. now a lot of people are in their living rooms, right? On their computers working. But you're trading your time that you can never get back for money that you're going to use for other things. And yet they're then telling you later, oh, you spent your time that you can never get back because you assumed it would be worth this much. But now we're telling you it's worth this much less. Right. And you can never you can never get that back. You can never change it. Now they're just printing it like crazy. And, you know, this this idea of volatility also, to some extent, if you make the full switch over and value only in Bitcoin, there's there's a Bitcoin meme that's like one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> and 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 so it's kind of a pushback on this idea of volatility. Like, yeah, the volatility exists because you're still pricing everything in U.S. dollars. You're still pricing it in their fake money. And so if we can push over into this parallel economy, into this Bitcoin economy, it's so much fairer, right? I'm not going to say it would never fluctuate in your ability to purchase things, right? Ideally, um, in theory anyway, as a deflationary currency, then the purchasing power over time continues to go up. So there is still that volatility to some extent, but it's not arbitrarily manipulated by the government telling you what your time is worth and what it's not worth. Mm-hmm. We should hit for the listeners. So you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Like each, oh, each yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, that's, that's, each, well, that's really important. We should have hit that earlier in the first. <laughs> yeah, sure. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. Each Bitcoin is divisible down to the eighth decimal place. And so the base unit of Bitcoin are called sats, satoshis. They're called sats. And so you, like, you can dollar cost average into Bitcoin. And like the best way that I found like as a, as an entrepreneur, like marketing consultant, like transitioning my clients over to paying me in Bitcoin instead of sending me checks is I still charge dollar amounts, but I say the payment is deliverable in Bitcoin. 
And so that's, that's where I'm like, I'm living in both worlds and I'm, I'm, I'm navigating the transition and riding on like, we're, we're alive in, in an incredible time. Like I, I'm thankful to be alive. Like, and I'm an optimist and like, I, I, I am like just so excited to like get to honestly, like come on podcasts like this and like talk about Bitcoin and just, I, I love the fact that we're talking to, you know, hopefully some people that are, you know, hearing about Bitcoin for the first time today. Like that's, that's cool to me because like Bitcoin is a solution. Bitcoin is a brand new paradigm that fixes so many of the just society political problems that we're frustrated with day to day. And, it, and I'm thankful that I'm, I'm able to like take action. Like it just every every conversation, whether it's with a pastor or a politician or my mom or a friend, like I, I just like am, am no longer as frustrated with the legacy world like as I used to be because I like I have a solution. Yeah, it's an it's an equalizing technology. If we think about what you talked about earlier, Brian, about um, that it's a gift from God. And I totally agree with you in the same way that I think the internet and our ability to communicate with people around the world is a gift from God. I think the printing press, right? And what the printing press did for the lay people to be able to have access to God's word, right? It's an Mm -hmm. equalizer. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I think Bitcoin, I'm not going to put it on the same level as being able to put God's word in individual people's (laughs) hands, but it... It is an equalizer in that it creates a fair money. Yeah. And it's, it's a great message to, to kind of leave with people for sure is that they're, if you're disillusioned with the financial system for good reason, there are ways out of this. Mm-hmm. And the future is bright in this respect. And that's the wonderful thing I think that we get to, that you learn as you learn more about Bitcoin is that there, there is this new way out. And that's exciting. So guys, I know we're going to, we're kind of a, a drawing to a, our, our end here. So I do want to give uh, everybody a little bit more in terms of ways in which they can learn even more. This should spark your curiosity. If you're not already involved in Bitcoin at all, that's okay. Uh, let's just learn a little bit more and kind of begin to see what's happening. Guys, what do you, where would you say people should go to, to learn even more about how Bitcoin works and what they can do to, to learn more in general? You should listen so, to Josh's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I normally play that kind of thing down, but yeah, I, I would say because my whole thing is trying to put things in layman's terms, right? It's called bottom shelf Bitcoin. We put it on the bottom shelf where everyone can reach it. And so usually I'm talking to someone who is out of my, you know, almost out of my league as far as understanding. And then I ask a bunch of clarifying questions to finally distill it into like what everyone can understand is kind of my goal on the podcast. Another great resource is lop.net, L-O-P-P.net. And then across the top, you'll see Bitcoin resources. And he's just got a ton of stuff that you can go through. Depending on how thick your skin is, Twitter can be a really good resource. <laughs> um, That's and this a little is dangerous point. <laughs> It is dangerous. And, and it, you know, that, that's why I say you got to have thick skin. Yeah if you get offended really easily, just don't because there's a lot of drama <laughs> on Bitcoin Twitter. And so if you, if you can't handle that, you know, you need to make that decision for yourself and not go into that. But something that I think I have an advantage of as a Christian is that I already don't put too much stock in humans, right? Like I understand that all humans are flawed. They're all going to make mistakes. And so I've been in Bitcoin for three, somewhere between three and four years I've seen a lot of people that, you know, the 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 Batman meme of like, you live, you know, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a bad guy. I've seen a lot of people <laughs> that that I would say that I kind of 
that, that a lot of people viewed as heroes at one point and then have gone off into like kind of scammy projects or projects that are maybe not as considerate of the end user's privacy or whatever. And so you can't hold any of these people, whether they're developers or authors or whatever, you, you can't hold them as like heroes and perfect. You, you take what they produce that's good and then you just say like the rest, ditch it. Mm-hmm. Very yep. good. So I would say, so yeah, like my DMs are open on Twitter. It's at Brain Harrington on Twitter and like my DMs are open. And like the best way to get involved is get some Bitcoin. It's just skin the game, like get some Bitcoin. Like if you're, if you're listening to this and like you're just on board with like all the like theology that Norman and Doug talk about, just get a little bit of it. Just join, join in and yeah, like it'll, jump in a little, yeah. and get swimming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, oh, I'll, uh, another good one. Sorry. Let me yeah, pop sure. in here real quick. Uh, is Bitcoin Q and a mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the letter Q, the letter N, the letter a.com got a lot of common questions, common myths, um, stuff about nodes, just general Bitcoin education. There's a whole section on common mistakes, which I think is really nice to like read through what a lot of people go through and, you know, end up buying a bunch of random cryptos that they think are going to take off and then they don't, or whether or not you should buy KYC Bitcoin. And it kind of explains what that is in there. Um, And so just kind of before you make those mistakes for yourself, learn from people who have already made those mistakes. And one resource I I particularly love is the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Those guys, actually a couple of those guys were my former students at UT Austin. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, really? (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, Michael Goldstein was my my student. uh, Oh, very nice. In a manner of of speaking. He was part of our Libertarian Longhorns group long ago. And a couple of them were, in fact. But uh, they're they're great. They have a, a, a their their business at the at that institute, or they call the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute, and that's n a k a m o t o institute dot org. They are kind of you know just being Bitcoin historians on a level. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to put together a lot of the the fundamentals in one place, and uh, and they, you can get a lot of great stuff there. I'm highly recommend uh, the resources they have, and because mm-hmm. uh, Michael Goldstein is, is a revolutionary figure. Like, and, and I mean that. Like, so you, like, you, like, by nature of, like, being, you know, involved with him in any capacity, like, are a part, like, <laughs> of the revolution. Like, very, like, seriously, honestly. Like, and I treat, yep. and I, and I treat this conversation, like, as, like, tr- truly, like, a 1776 conversation, like, talking about dumping the tea in the harbor, like, talking about creating a gigantic paradigm shift, like, in this country. And, like, like, literally saving this country. And, like, like, Christian libertarians, and Bitcoiners, anyone in any sphere related to these things need to rally together and like create positive momentum. That is a that is a terrific way to kind of end our conversation right here. Uh, so I'm, you know, I think it's a terrific thing what you guys are doing in terms of uh, teaching people about how to use Bitcoin and what it means and why the economics of it are so important. And as we've as we've stated so many times through this podcast and on our website, the idea of sound money is crucial to having a peaceful and prosperous world in the long run. And that's why Bitcoin is ultimately so important. It may not seem like much right now, but it is absolutely one of the most pivotal you know innovations of the last 100 years. And uh, I'm I'm thrilled to death to even have some partial involvement in it uh, here and there. So with that. You know, Brian, Josh, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Loved it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. 
And so that'll conclude our episode for today. Be sure and, and come back next week for even more wonderful Christian libertarian thinking. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.